All right. Hi, everybody. It's Melissa. I'm back. And today I have my first guest on the podcast. Her name is Megan. She's awesome. Oh, she's awesome. She has a podcast also called the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. And yeah, I just, hi. Hi, Megan. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, how do I intro a person? (laughs) I'm usually just introing myself. Thanks for chatting with me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. We have an interesting topic to talk about today, but first I kind of want to talk about how you and I crossed paths because you reached out to me via email after listening to my podcast and you were like, Hey, you know, I like the podcast or whatever. Um, and we just sort of like chatted back and forth and, uh, I started following you on your, your social media pages. And I've listened to some pod, some episodes of your podcast, um, which your podcast is really great by the way. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I think I mentioned that you had have a really good podcast voice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you reached out to me initially because you were like newly self-diagnosed as autistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a thing. And then you pretty shortly thereafter un- self-diagnosed yourself. <laughs> And so that's the thing I want to talk about today. I mean, we can talk about other things too, but I just, um, I think, I think it's a good perspective to talk about, you know, because there are a lot of layers to diagnosis, especially with mental health stuff, because it's so, um, it's so subjective often and just based on certain criteria and, different things can, can look similar to other things. And I think that's sort of what happened with you. And I I thought it was really, um, awesome how you were so open about everything along the whole, the whole journey of yours. And I think that can be super helpful to others who are also on a self-diagnosis journey and, and questioning and wondering. So, so yeah, I guess I'll just, start by asking you to kind of fill us in on on what led you to believe you were autistic and sort of the journey beyond that okay yeah absolutely so I think I I started seriously considering autism um when I found Samantha Kraft's unofficial list of um autistic traits for women and girls um, which I think you mentioned in your autism autism diagnosis journey too. Um, it's a really useful list. It's really interesting. And I just related to so much of it. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll really do some research here. And I found uh, this website called embraceautism.com. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of different self-assessments that you can take that are very reliable and scientifically based. And so I took like all of those. Um, and basically everything I took, everything I read, it all just felt like it fit so perfectly. And I was like, this describes me, this like totally explains everything. And it felt really good for like two or three weeks. 
Uh, <laughs> and then the doubts started like creeping in, which this happens to me a lot to clarify. Um, <laughs> I have a habit of picking up diagnoses and thinking for sure that I have them, that they just explain so much. And I just feel so seen. And um, this happened to me in college with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And I was so certain that I actually, when I went to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist, they both diagnosed me with it, even though it's been five or six years now. And I definitively do not have bipolar disorder. Like it's pretty easy to tell with bipolar when it comes to medication, there are certain medications that will make you manic if you have bipolar. Um, and that has not happened for me. So it's pretty, pretty definitive that that was a misdiagnosis, but I had that misdiagnosis for five or six years, um, because I was so certain. And I guess with autism this time around, like you said that I've been, I was so open to like diagnosis and undiagnosis. And it's because of that initial experience with the bipolar disorder. I didn't want to do the same thing again. I didn't want to cling to this incorrect diagnosis for five or six years, uh, only to finally accept that it was wrong and have all this wasted time. Instead, I guess, I wanted to go into it with an open mind. Like this feels really right. This feels really right. And then all of a sudden I got this like gut feeling, I guess. And I don't usually listen to my gut because I have anxiety. And so usually my gut <laughs> yeah. is telling me terrible things will happen. Right, <laughs> um, right. But this just felt really true. And my gut was just saying, Megan, I know this is going to hurt but this is another obsession and you have to let it go. And it did hurt. It sucked um, because it really stinks to have your reality like questioned like that all the time, like called into question. And, but I, I think that gut feeling was based off of two main like logical things as well. When it comes to autism, like there are two major hallmarks of it. Like there's lots of other stuff that goes with it, but I feel like the two main things are uh, intense sensory sensitivities, whether that's sensory avoidance or sensory seeking um, and uh, social issues of different kinds. Right. And those were actually the only two things about autism I didn't relate to. Oh, okay. Right. And so that made it one of, it made it clear to me that all the other stuff I related to the executive dysfunction, the emotional dysregulation, all of that could be better explained by something else. And that something else is likely anxiety and depression. Got it. So when you first stumbled upon autism and it, and it felt really right. And you were, and you were certain that that was it. Um, you came out to everyone, like you came out online. You can't, I use the term come out. It always seems weird to me with autism because that's, I don't know, but you, you announced, you told everyone that, that you were autistic, that you had self-diagnosed. Did you tell, I assume you told everyone in your family. I know when you reached out to me, you said that you hadn't told your family yet, but you had made a PowerPoint, which I thought was like the most amazing thing in the world that I had ever seen. I just, I loved that idea. Um, like this PowerPoint just explained so succinctly 
like the how and the why and the what to do next and and all of this stuff and I was like wow this this is amazing like whether you're autistic or not I think that that is such a cool idea for anyone who's neurodiverse in any way who's trying to explain to friends or family like what that means what this means for you what this means for me what can help me like what you know how this affects my life, all the things that you put on the PowerPoint. So anyway, I kind of got off track there, but I just wanted to say that PowerPoint was awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But uh, yeah, you, I assume you told all of your family and everyone close to you too, not just online. Um, so how was that reaction at first when you, my dogs are barking, sorry. Um, Can you hear them? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so what was their reaction when you told them? Um, so I mostly like, quote unquote, came out as autistic online. And then I sort of told my family, like kind of in passing, I was like, oh, by the way, I think I'm autistic and I'm going to be posting about it on social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we didn't have like a big discussion about it necessarily, but I think generally my family was skeptical because they know that I do this, right? They know that I get obsessed with diagnoses and bless their hearts. Like, and I mean that genuinely not in the Southern, like screw you kind of way, uh, <laughs> like honestly bless them. They, they try so hard to be gentle with me and be like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that this is the right fit. And it's just so hard for me to hear that when I'm in the middle of the obsession and I'm like, no, this is so right. Like, why don't you see this? Why are you so against me? Like, why don't you get this? And um, yeah, so they, they very gently <laughs> basically said like, I'm not sure that that's right. I might do more research. Like maybe we should talk about this before you post about it online. So I completely ignored them, posted about it everywhere. And um, we didn't really talk about it again. Did it ever cross your mind to pursue a diagnosis or were you just going to keep um, being self-diagnosed, which is, as I have always said, like totally valid, but some people, if they are having those doubts, they're like, okay, I need to like talk to a professional and see if this is actually what's going on. So did that cross your mind or were you comfortable just determining on your own since you, you seem to know yourself pretty well? Um, you know, I, I think, I mentioned to you, like, I think you're very self-aware, um, even though there's, there was a misdiagnosis in the mix, that doesn't mean you're not self-aware. I think to, to relate to something and connect with it deeply doesn't mean you're not self-aware. I think being able to back out of it and be like, oh, actually, maybe not, that requires a lot of self-awareness. So, um, but did, did, the diagnosis, the official quote unquote diagnosis path ever cross your mind? Oh, absolutely. Like it was sort of a complicated thing for me because part of me wanted the professional diagnosis because if I had one, then I wouldn't be able to doubt myself, which is not true. Uh, <laughs> I had a professional bipolar diagnosis and I doubted it all the time. So <laughs> there's that. And, but then I also, part of me wanted to stick with self-diagnosis because I didn't want that external validation. I didn't want to need it. I wanted my own evaluation of myself to be enough. Um, so I, I definitely thought about it for sure. Uh, but by the time 
I realized I wasn't autistic. I, you know, realized that that wouldn't be necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then like, so you said that you, that you sort of realized that the two or two of the, the big features of autism didn't really like ring true to you, you realized. Um, so kind of what was that moment like? I mean, I'm sure at, from my perspective, I would probably feel really embarrassed because I know throughout the journey of when I was self-diagnosed and waiting for my diagnosis appointment and everything, I was just thinking like, this is going to be really embarrassing if I'm not actually autistic because I've been sort of, I hadn't told anyone at that point, except my partner and like my mom. Um, but I was already making this podcast and, um, having strangers reach out to me and tell me like how, how inspired and how related, how relatable it was and, and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, if I have to be like, actually guys, just kidding. Like I got it wrong. Like it just felt like it would be such a massive feeling of like shame or embarrassment. Um, even though like, I don't think it should be, but it, it felt like it would be. So I'm curious how it felt for you. I think the moment that I realized I wasn't autistic was really upsetting. Um, it was just, a combination of the embarrassment that you're talking about and also something like kind of deeper than embarrassment. It's, it's like shame, I guess, uh, because I got my reality wrong and that feels really crappy. Um, so the moment I realized that I remember we were eating dinner, me and my husband and my son, and it just sort of hit me and I was like, Oh, by the way, husband, like I'm not autistic apparently. And he was like, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. (laughs) And so we, we talked it out that whole evening. We just talked and talked and talked about it. And there were lots of tears and it was very upsetting. Um, and then I actually spent about a week feeling good about it. I was like, no, like, look at me. I've come so far. Like I was able to identify that this was wrong. Like this means my reality is actually getting more solid, not more crazy. Like that's great. Um, and then I had to post about it on social media. I I felt obligated to let people know like, Hey, this is actually wrong. Um, I'm not autistic. And that was a really hard day in general. I just spent the whole day in a funk and just felt, I don't even know. I don't know if it's embarrassment, probably partially embarrassment and just like regret, I guess. Um, but, but even though I felt embarrassed and all that stuff, I, I don't really regret it because like, I think there are other people like this. I, I used to think I was the only person in the entire world who got this obsessed with diagnoses so much so that they could trick themselves into thinking they had it. But the more I create content on the internet, the more I realize that even though we are all our own unique human beings, none of our individual experiences are unique. Like we, there is someone out there who gets it. (laughs) So I guess I kind of don't regret it, even though it was hard. (laughs) I, I hope that somebody else saw it and it helped them. Yeah, totally. Oh, and I'm sure, 
I'm sure there are others out there who have been through the exact same thing. There's got to be. I mean, mm-hmm. what are what are the odds that you're the only one? Um, right. So, yeah, I, I remember when I saw your announcement, I didn't really think twice about it. I didn't. I was like, oh, well, I mean, you ruled that out. At right. least like you're one step closer <laughs> to really knowing what what is going on. But I remember being curious, like what, what made her, um, and you did end up explaining, I think either on your podcast episode or on a, on another social media post explaining what, what made you, um, you know, realize that you weren't actually autistic. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'm curious because, you know, I think all of us who have been self-diagnosed or, and especially those who remain self-diagnosed, um, all do have doubts sometimes. I remember that was a big part of it for me and being like, oh my gosh, like, am I just relating to this because I'm searching for something to like, quote unquote, cure all of my problems that I've always had, like some sort of an excuse, like, oh, well, this explains everything. This is like an easy, an easy out for me to just be like, oh, well, I'm autistic. Like, I'm not really all of these other things um, that I, that I always thought about myself. Um, you know, I don't say that in relation to like, um, like other mental health diagnoses, but like, as far as like the social struggles I had, I was always just like really hard on myself about like not being able to get that right. Like, am I unlikable? Like, am I like, what is happening here that, that what am I doing wrong? What's, you know, and I always just wondered why I struggled so hard with that. And it was a really, um, um, big self-esteem issue for me. And then I remember after realizing all of these things and, and realizing that I was likely autistic and now I know that I am, um, that cleared that up so much and made me feel so much better about that aspect of my life and being like, oh, okay, like this is why I've struggled. I'm not just like a loser that doesn't know how to have friends or <laughs> whatever. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just autistic. Like, there are lots of other people out there like me that struggle in this exact same way with this exact same thing. Um, but touching on like the social aspect of things, I have met autistic people. There are some out there who really enjoy being social and really don't have as much of the social difficulty. Um, you know, there are a lot of like extroverted, hyper-social autistic people. So like when you say you didn't have social struggles, um, does that mean like, you just don't relate to that part of it at all? Like you don't, even if you're social, you don't need like a recharge or a reset or like a, you don't have any confusions when it comes to that sort of stuff or. I think the big thing for me is that sometimes I get anxious in social situations, but it's not that I don't understand them. And I think that's a big thing that I saw, uh, in the requirements for autism is like, masking by like intentionally copying other people like I unintentionally will mimic people all the time uh, <laughs> like that's just it naturally happens in my brain but like I have a fairly like good understanding of social situations and how they work and what I is expected of me and in fact I like I think as a trauma response I have a heightened awareness of social situations and how they work and the best way to fly under the radar in any social situation um, <laughs> and 
not that you're, you're absolutely right. There are like hyper social autistic folks out there for sure. Um, I just felt like the combination of, you know, I don't have the classic signs of autism in the social sphere and I don't have the classic signs of autism in the sensory sphere and together that is what convinced me. Like if it was just one or the other, I could totally see myself still being autistic just in a different way, a different presentation. Right. But the right. fact that I had neither was kind of like suspicious. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh yeah. And I just point that out, like not to, not to try and debate you about your own. I'm not like, are you <laughs> sure you're not autistic? Like, um, but just to point out that this is, there is such a fine line. There's so much nuance to it. It's like, and I think me personally having this blend of like trauma and ADHD and autism existing together in the same body um, really made that process even more confusing to be like, okay, is this trauma or is this autism? And then at my, at my appointment where I got my results for my autism assessment, I found out she also um, diagnosed me with ADHD, which wasn't even on my radar, but now it makes total sense. Um, but those three things together, it's like, okay, what is, what is, what thing is causing what? And I feel like sometimes, you know, two of the things will like counteract each other or play into each other in a weird way, or like all three of the things. And I'm just like, it's hard to unpack it all and be like, what, okay, what is happening right now? Let me just take a step <laughs> back. My brain has a lot of different, um, ways of being and coping and existing. So um, there are a lot of a lot of different things to consider on this journey. And I don't want to like put this episode out there as a means to like um, freak anyone out who's on a self-diagnosis journey. Cause I know a lot of people get really like nervous and they're like, oh my gosh, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Um, I know that because I was there and a lot of people have told me that they go through that too. And I more wanted to show like um, here's a person who didn't get it right. And she's okay. Like it's totally fine. And exactly. for you to tell your story of kind of how you figured that out. Um, but also again, like I didn't think I had sensory struggles. So this is a thing where you really have to like, like you did look at yourself, honestly, be able to like, gauge your experiences and be like, do I have this thing? Because I absolutely do have sensory struggles. I never realized I did because for one, I thought for some of the sensory struggles I have, I didn't realize that not everyone feels that way about those things or in those situations where it's like, oh, I don't have sensory struggles, but like everyone feels this way about this thing. And it's like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, so there's that side of it, but then there's also like, we see um, in the media or portrayed to us like this very, um, this very narrow view of what a sensory reaction looks like in an autistic person it's very extreme usually what what the media shows us it's like running away putting your hands over your ears having a meltdown um and that's not always how a sensory 
reaction looks. That's not how mine look most of the time. There are only a couple of things that send me into that true like meltdown state. Um, but it was looking at those kind of things and seeing like, oh gosh, I actually do struggle with that a lot. I actually, you know, I do struggle with noise. I do struggle with touch. You know, that was a, that was a big one for me talking to my mom and her even telling me like, oh yeah, even when you were a baby, you didn't want to be held. Like you would push me away when I was trying to feed you like things like that, where I was like, oh, I never even knew that about myself as a baby. Like my mom didn't really think anything of it. She just thought I wasn't like a touchy feely kid. I never was like, I didn't like to cuddle. I didn't like to hug. I didn't, you know? So she was like, no, that's just how you were. And I'm like, oh, but I think that's a sign. <laughs> Something, you know, <laughs> like most kids aren't really like that. So, um, yeah, there is just like so much to it. So it's hard. That's, that's why I personally was like, I, I need to talk to someone. I had to find a professional who was very familiar with what autism looks like in adults, particularly also what autism looks like in females, which I hate gendering it because I think there are just as many men out there who present with these quote female traits, you know, there, it's just, it's not as widely known yet, I don't think. But um, anyway, I, I thought it was really important to see someone like that so I could just be sure that it was an accurate diagnosis that this person just wasn't gonna say yes or no based on outdated information or preconceived notions or whatever um so so like how do you feel now like on the other side of this like what's what have you like realized about yourself are you are you any closer to understanding where you fit in the neurodivergent world? Yeah, I think I am. So I definitely still consider myself neurodivergent because I do relate to so much of this stuff. Um, the reason why is still a little unclear to me. Um, you know, I've seen some stuff about how like giftedness is a form of neurodivergence, like your brain just works differently. And like, I was always in like those gifted programs in school. So that could be part of it. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff on from autistic creators talking about how the highly sensitive person is just another presentation of autism. Uh, but I've always considered myself a highly sensitive person. So that's interesting and like a possibility for my neurodivergence, but also just having anxiety and depression for a long time changes the way that your brain works. And that, you know, is the definition of neurodivergence is having a brain that is neurologically different in some significant way. So um, that could be it as well. But for some reason, my brain is a little different. <laughs> I would not consider myself neurotypical at all. Um, and I think I feel good about it because there are times where I start thinking again about autism and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it is a good fit. And that's where I remind myself about the difference between helpful and unhelpful. <laughs> like it's not so much about true and untrue. It's more about what is helpful and what is unhelpful. And the truth is having an autism, even just like a self-diagnosis an autism self-diagnosis was not helpful to me. It sent me into an obsessive spiral and 
acknowledging that I am not autistic has been helpful. It So I try to think of life in those terms, like what's helpful, what's not helpful and leaning into the more helpful things, I suppose. So yeah, I definitely still have days where I question it. <laughs> and that's when I gently remind myself, you know, life is long. If you're autistic, we'll probably figure it out before you die. And then we'll do what we need to do, you know? And if you're not autistic, if it's anxiety and depression, that's still just as serious, still just as important. And um, it still matters and you still matter. And like, just gently reminding myself, like you said, like I got it wrong. I had a misdiagnosis and I'm still okay, <laughs> you know? And just yeah. gently reminding other people of that too, that misdiagnosis does not have to be like the end of the world. It you're going to be okay. You're going to get through it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I would urge people who are questioning because like you, I saw that Samantha craft list. And that was the first thing that was like, Oh my God, like, this is definitely me like to a T all of it. Like, but then it sent me on a deeper, (laughs) a deeper dive, of course, where I got very, um, researchy about it, uh, which is what happens sometimes. Um, And I looked at the DSM criteria because that's really what diagnosis is based off of is that criteria in the DSM Um, and those other lists, while those traits do exist, it's like the, the big ones that really determine whether or not you have this condition are the ones that are listed in the DSM. And the other stuff is just like sprinkled on top is like all of the extras that you get <laughs> good, good or bad or neutral, you know? So yeah, I think that's an important thing. Cause like you said, one of, one of the big things, you know, listed and it's in the DSM is the social difficulties. Um, and so, yeah, just, just doing your research and not just basing everything off of anecdotal evidence, like lists on the internet and looking at other people's TikTok videos and stuff, which, um, I know you didn't do, you did, you did research and that's how you came about your, you know, your journey from beginning to end. Um, but I know that that there is a lot of relatable stuff that's posted on the internet that could be relatable to a lot of people who aren't autistic. Just seeing one, one small piece of the big pie and being like, oh my gosh, I have that too. Does that mean I'm autistic? You know, is like, well, you know, a lot of people have that who aren't autistic. It's the combination of all of these slices of pie coming together to make a whole pie, which is the Autistic pie. I'm hungry. It's fall. I'm thinking about pot pie. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I feel like that's such a good metaphor to explain my realization. Like I found all of these small slices of pie that I related to. And I was like, oh my goodness, I must be autistic. And then through doing further research, I realized I was missing the two biggest pieces of pie and that it made autism made less sense to explain my lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that you're talking openly about this. I think it's so necessary. So you're a coach too, right? You, you do have a coaching yeah. business? Yeah. I'm a neurodivergent life coach. Yeah. That's cool. How long have you been doing that? Almost a year now. Awesome. So what kind of 
I mean, just to summarize, like what does a neurodivergent coach do or what do they offer? Absolutely. So um, first of all, it's not therapy. It's definitely different. Just to clarify, um, I did not have to go to school to get a psychology degree or anything like that. Although I do have like a minor in psychology. Um, instead, I got a coaching certification in emotional intelligence specifically, because I think that's the most helpful for a whole bunch of different situations. And basically how it works is we sit down together and we identify like what are three things about your life? If you could just snap your fingers and fix, what would you fix? Like what is actually bothering you? Um, because so often we have these things that go along with neurodivergence that are different or quirky or whatever, but they aren't necessarily causing a problem. And those are not the things we want to fix. Those are the things that make you, you, and that's completely fine. <laughs> but there are things about our lives, about being neurodivergent sometimes that are really hard. And those are the things that we want to learn to cope with. And uh, that's what we really do. So I work with people on organization. I work a lot. We do a lot of work on self-compassion because uh, I think a lot of neurodivergent folks you're being raised in a neurotypical society and it's going to make you feel other and it's going to make you feel left out a lot of the time. And so we do a lot of work on just accepting, Hey, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm really genuinely good enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's very much needed too. Um, you're right. It can make you feel othered like you yeah yeah you don't fit in well because you don't like and that's okay and you don't need to try and fit in but there are ways that you can um adjust things to make it easier to make life easier and, and happier so that's cool how did you get into that you just felt a desire to to help yeah I felt like I had a unique lived experience I guess I felt like I have trauma and I am neurodivergent and um, I just have like gone through these different things and I have learned so much through the process of healing the last like 10 years or so and it felt silly for me to hold all this knowledge and like not do anything with it <laughs> and yeah. I was like I could give this to other people I could help people going through the same thing and so that's that's when I started up the coaching cool yeah, some people have a gift for that, for sharing and, and helping guide people through their lives. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if, if anyone listening wants to, to hook up with you, I'm definitely going to put all your info in the show notes. Um, I can put oh, your, thank you. your website or your email or your social media accounts or all that jazz. So if anyone wants to reach out to you and talk to you more about your coaching or even more about your story, they can, there might be someone in the same position as you. That's like, Oh wait, this sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> so if that's okay with you, um, oh, completely. if you're open to talking and, and your podcast is awesome for anyone who is neurodivergent, you don't have to be autistic. Um, you talk about a lot of different cool topics on there that are, it's very, um, big variety of stuff. I haven't had a chance to listen. I think I've listened to only like three episodes so far, but I have so many podcasts on my podcast list. Like <laughs> me too. I'm like, me I too. can't ever listen. There's not enough hours in the day to listen to everything I want to listen to. Um, but yeah. Okay. I think, I think that's 
we've covered everything I want to cover unless there's anything else that you want to add. No, not really. Just I think one thing I would add that you touched on already, but self-diagnosis is still perfectly valid. I just want everyone to know that if you're listening, my story does not discount self-diagnosis. I was wrong. That doesn't mean you are wrong. Okay. I just, just want to throw that out there for everybody to know. <laughs> right. And I think, um, I think what you said about listening to your gut is important. I know those of us who have anxiety can relate to what you said about like, oh, <laughs> anxiety, like you can't always trust your gut because is your anxiety lying to you? But I think really on a deep, deep level, you can sit with it and and know, like eventually if you sit with it for long enough, you're going to know if it fits, you're going to know if it suits you and if it's the right thing. And if, if there's more things pointing towards yes, then no, then you're probably on the right track. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah.